You're listening to the KHSU Magazine. It's eight minutes after one o'clock. Anita Lucchese is here in the studio with myself, Danielle Orr. Anita is a doctoral student at the University of Lethbridge in cultural, social, and political thought program, a political thought program. She earned her BA in geography with a minor in global poverty and practice from the University of California, Berkeley in 2012. And uh, it's noted she's she graduated with the highest of honors. That's pretty good. Congratulations. She graduated Washington State University with her MA in American Studies in 2016. Her research interests include indigenous and critical cartography, indigenous feminisms, post-colonial geographies, and indigenous research methodologies. Anita has served as an advocate and an activist to end violence against indigenous women for over five years. Her areas of expertise are missing and murdered indigenous women, sexual assault, and sex trafficking. As part of this work, Anita maintains one of the largest databases of cases of missing and murdered indigenous women and girls in Canada and the United States. Uh, the data is used not only for her own work, but also made available to tribal advocates, activists, policymakers, service providers, and community leaders. I'm really uh, happy to have this conversation with Anita. Welcome to the KHSU Magazine. Thank you for having me. So, so many places to start. Um, let's just jump in and talk about how cartography is an important part of this work and how you got interested in, uh, you know, creating maps and doing your own maps, which uh, I'd love to give out your website as well so people can get a look at some of those maps. They're really fascinating. Thank you. Um, <clears throat> apologies if I cough a little bit. I'm getting over a cold. Um, you know, I was really fortunate um, to study geography at UC Berkeley and, um I think that experience really shaped who I am, not just as a scholar, but as a community member, because I was lucky enough to take classes on how to make maps and, um, you know, do cartographic work at the same time that I was learning post-colonial theory. So writers like Franz Fanon or Edward Said, um, you know, really brilliant minds who were thinking very critically on um, how we can decolonize, how we can move beyond the oppressive systems that we've all inherited. Um, and so learning how to think about those kinds of questions while learning how to make a map, um, that was such a powerful combination for me to realize that maps can be this really beautiful form of, or this really beautiful collision of data and art um, in a way that can mobilize stories so that we can better understand one another and um, really imagine new futures and new worlds. And how did you come to learn about missing and or murdered indigenous women? How did that intersect with that? Um, well, it's something that deeply uh, affects every native community across this continent. Um, so I first learned of it as a community member, but um, it became more personal to me when I experienced violence myself. So I'm a survivor of domestic violence that almost killed me and um, I also experienced sexual assault and trafficking. So for me, um, I almost became one of these women uh, who went missing or was murdered. And um, I actually started the database, the first couple hundred entries 
that I uh, put into the database I did with a broken hand because my abuser had broken a bunch of the bones in my left hand. So um, this work is done, uh, you know, from the perspective of a survivor and as someone who, you know, if that if that if that had happened to me. I would want to make sure that my story was part of the movement to make sure that doesn't happen to other women and girls. Mm -hmm. So, um, you know, that's the spirit of the database and the work that I do on missing and murdered women is to make sure that, you know, even though they're not here with us in the same way, that their voices are still being heard. Mm -hmm. And this started being in the news and, uh, you know, more noted fairly recently. Do you know how it started that this became more common knowledge to people who aren't within the communities of indigenous people? Um, <clears throat> you know, I think it's just the sheer hard work of indigenous women. Um, this movement has been around longer than I've been alive. Uh, the first official missing and murdered indigenous women's march happened in Vancouver. It happened the same year I was born, so 27 years ago. Um, even before that, all the way back through the 1970s, there were tribal journalists and tribal newspapers who were covering this issue. So I think it's just been, um, you know, decades in the making of people out in the trenches making sure that this information is documented and doing their best to amplify the stories. And that brings us to an interesting point, uh, one in which communities living side by side don't know that much about one another and uh you know the inclusive nature about the new the new work the new time we're in where there is there are more open arms to trying to become more inclusive so let's talk about that for a little bit if you would sure um you know and i think here locally is a great example of that um i'm really proud of the city of eureka for being the first municipality to return land uh back to a tribe when they return indian island um, I'm sure many of us saw the coverage in North Coast Journal. It was beautiful. Um, and really, I, you know, I applaud our local community for being leaders in that kind of work. Um, you know, but unfortunately, I think this area is still very segregated. Um, and as someone who was born and raised here, who has multiple generations of my family here, um, you know, I think many of us, especially the perfect example is uh, my siblings all played high school basketball. So, and they played uh, here in Arcata. So, but when they played teams like Hoopa, um, there was an us and a them on opposite sides of the gym. Um, and it, you know, and nobody talks about it, but that's kind of Humboldt County in a nutshell. Um, and it shouldn't be that way. Mm -hmm. We're all members of the community. We all live here and work here together in the best, uh, we can be our best version of ourselves uh, when we're able to build those healthier relationships. Mm -hmm. What is us and them? What does that mean? Um, you know, you? well... Of course. I think, you know, when we think about the history of this area... Um, let me back up. Mm -hmm. There's a story that... Uh, that I like to share. It's from a retired uh, homicide detective from Seattle Police. And he was talking about prejudice or racism in police forces, just kind of generally. And he was saying, look, I was on the police force for decades, you know, and I've just retired. Um, and I can tell you that um, we all like to imagine that, you know, racism or these kinds of extreme forms of violence um, or dehumanization, that it's so far in the past, you know, um, there's no way that someone younger or that someone, um, you know, 
who participated in that so long ago, there's no way that still happens now. Because we're talking about Seattle police um, up through the 1980s referred to black and native victims of crime by the letter N, um, which is obviously very dehumanizing. Um, and so he was trying to explain why, the, why he had fought for decades for the agency to change that policy and why it had been in place for so long. Um, and I thought that was a really powerful example of, you know, even though not all of us, you know, think in a prejudiced way necessarily or, or you know, not all of us choose to um, <clears throat> look at each other as opposites, uh, we still inherit those systems. We still inherit um, those structures. And unless we actively participate in dismantling them, then we're still part of the problem. I am often jarred when I see all sorts of historical, you know, any kind of war, human beings being so horrible to other human beings. It's, you know, I wonder, is this, is this just part of the worst of humanity? I know it is. And is it just how the world is? What, what would you say to that? No, I don't think uh, colonialism or racism are inherent to who we are as human beings. Um, and, you know, I feel very fortunate that we are all living at this time of um, incredible rebirth and incredible potential. We have so many opportunities to do so many beautiful things to make this world a better place. We're lucky. Um, and uh, it's true that we still have a lot to dismantle. Even here locally, we still have a lot of work ahead of us to build healthier relationships with one another. Mm -hmm. um, you know, and some of those examples are the issue of missing and murdered Native women mm -hmm. or, um, you know, justice for Josiah. Mm -hmm. um, those are things that uh, we still have work to do, but it's exciting that we have that work to do. It's exciting that we mm -hmm. have that path ahead. And speaking of locally, uh, you wanted to talk about uplifting uh, the bodies, the sovereign, tell me. So um, the Missing and Murdered Indigenous Women's Database now has a new home. Uh, it's called Sovereign Bodies Institute. We are an affiliate of Seventh Generation Fund for Indigenous Peoples, which is also based here locally in Humboldt County. Um, <clears throat> we are a community-based research institute uh, for creating new knowledge and building capacity to address gender and sexual violence against indigenous people. So uh, we're based here locally. Um, I'm serving as director. And like I said, I'm a local girl born and raised here, six generations here. Um, and I think one of the most exciting things about being based here in Humboldt County is that there's just so many brilliant people doing amazing work. Um, some of our partners here locally are the Native Women's Collective, the Yurok Tribe, um, we have Blythe George, who's a local girl from McKinleyville doing her PhD at Harvard. Um, these really amazing people just coming together to make our community safer. So um, I'm really excited to share that announcement. And Say it again. The, um, Sovereign Bodies Institute. Sovereign Bodies Institute. Uh, our website is sovereign-bodies.org, or you can also follow us on Facebook. Um, we would love to connect with local folks, and we're also uh, still in the process of fundraising. So if anyone wants to support the work that we're doing on missing and murdered Indigenous women, that's where to go. And so what are you doing there? Tell, tell me a little bit about a day there. Um, well, we are still maintaining and caring for the database, which at this point is uh, 
the world's largest. Um, no, you created this d- database? Yes, over the last four years. You created a database. Yes. Um, we do data collection by any means necessary. So we use official records like law enforcement records or missing persons databases. But we also do news articles, historical archives, um, and most importantly, direct outreach with communities and families. So um, we have almost 4,000 cases currently logged in that system. And last week we announced that we're expanding the database to include indigenous folks who are from Latin America. Wow, and this uh, database goes back how far? It goes back to 1900, but the majority of the cases are post 1980. Post 1980? Yeah, most of them are fairly recent because that's the easier information to collect. Uh Um, And then outside of the work that we do with the database, we also, you know, it's one thing to collect the information, but you also have to mobilize it in a good way. It doesn't really mean anything unless you figure out how to use it. Um, And so part of the projects that Sovereign Bodies Institute is taking on, um, we have a couple amazing projects here locally on trafficking and on missing and murdered Native women. Um, We also have a project with HSU to develop culturally relevant resources for students who experience sexual violence. Um, So, you know, I won't go into every detail on every project we have because you'd be listening to me all day. But, um, you know, we're really excited and I'm really happy that uh, after 10 years of being away from home, I get to come back and we get to do this amazing work together. Wow, it's amazing. And... uh, if you would like to maybe steer listeners to interesting reading or participating in some kind of way that you know uplifts and changes current attitudes, would there be a book or something that you would recommend people get involved with? Um, certainly there's lots of great books to read. The first one that comes to mind is... Um, Sarah Deer's book, The Beginning and End of Rape in Indian Country. Uh, Sarah Deer is on the Institute's board, and she's one of my mentors, but the book is fabulous, even if I didn't know her. Okay. Um, And we also have uh, um, We Are Dancing for You by Kacha Riesling Bali, who's here. uh, She's the chair of Native Studies here at HSU. That book came out last year and is a really amazing and powerful story of revitalization of girls coming of age ceremonies here and what that means for uh, our communities here locally healing. I like it. Thank you. It's good. Anything else you'd like to share with the listeners? We have a few more minutes. Anything that you feel is important to pass on? There's so much information. Let's give out your website also because there's a lot of really great information there uh, when you're done. But is there something else that you find important to talk about? Sure. Um, You know, I I think people ask me what the most important takeaway would be um, when talking about missing and murdered Native women. And one of the things that I really try to um, impress upon people is that The media portrays this as something that happens in really kind of far-flung locations, um, far away from us. So, for example, the oil fields of North Dakota or the vast expanse of the Navajo Nation, and it does happen in those places, and we do need to talk about it. But it also happens right here locally. California is in the top five for total number of cases on a state level, um, and the vast majority of those cases are here in Northern California. Um, There's actually quite a few that have happened just here in Humboldt County. 
Um, <coughs> and as we work with the community, we're always identifying new cases. So when we think about what this issue means to us, um, I don't think, you know, most of us don't realize that, you know, as you're driving down the highway or as you're, um, you know, driving past a certain intersection, you're actually driving past a point where a Native woman went missing or was killed and, and don't even realize it um, because that's how invisible this issue has uh, been made uh, by media, by law enforcement, by policymakers. Um, and so I think what's really important is that, you know, you can, you can hear it from me and you can choose to take it at, you know, at face value for me, but we need to be hearing it from our law enforcement. We need to be hearing it from our policymakers and our community leaders. Um, so I would encourage folks to start asking those questions to say, why aren't we hearing about these cases? You know, there was a teen girl who went missing in Fortuna just a few months ago and, you know, none of us heard about it. There was no media bulletin that alerted the community to look out for this young girl. Um, that's how, not right. How does that not happen? I mean, why? It's a person. How does it not happen? It, I, that would be a question for law enforcement uh -huh. um, because she wasn't posted on the state missing persons clearinghouse, um, but she was included in law enforcement records. Uh -huh. So clearly someone did take that case and entered into the system. Mm -hmm. uh, we found out that information by doing a Freedom of Information Act request. So... Um, you know, that's the level of miscommunication mm -hmm. that's happening here. And was she ever found? We don't know. You don't know. Mm -hmm. Again, the community was never updated. Uh-huh. So when we think about trying to make Humboldt County, you know, a safer place, a happier place, um, you know, Native women and girls are having a drastically different experience of Humboldt County. Mm -hmm. um, and we think of, you know, this place as being... Uh, we pride ourselves on being inclusive, on uh, being, uh, you know, human rights minded. Mm -hmm. um, and yet that's actually not the case when it comes to Native women and girls. Mm -hmm. It's a good place for silence on the radio. It's really <laughs> a big topic. I really... Uh, I'm fascinated by your work, and uh, would you tell people how to find out more about yourself uh, through your website? Sure. So um, the best way to find out information about our work is to visit the Institute's website, which is sovereign-bodies.org. Um, there's a full list of all of our staff and community partners, um, as well as our project descriptions, and it also has our contact information and information on how to donate and support our work. Okay, great. What else are you up to? <laughs> <laughs> um, well, what do you like to do for fun? <laughs> uh, Got to well, keep it I balanced work, here. Yeah. I work seventeen-hour days, so uh -huh. no fun <laughs> um, for I you. do take self-care Sundays, mm -hmm. um, and I do have two dogs that mm -hmm. uh, bring me a lot of joy. Oh, that's great. But. Um, you know, it was interesting and thinking about the Institute was something I wanted to build, you know, for years, it was kind of a dream. And I thought, well, maybe when I'm an established scholar 30 years from now, not when I'm 27. Uh, and then it happened very fast, thanks to a lot of support from Seventh Generation Fund. Um, and so now, you know, I was joking like, oh man, my whole life plan scrapped. <laughs> so funny. now I have to figure out what my new 50-year legacy is going to be. Hmm, um, any thoughts? <laughs> um, well, I mean, 
I, I'm a firm believer in the power of education for social change. Uh, I'm a firm believer in tribal colleges for that reason, um, having formerly taught at one. Uh, so I would love to see something like that here. Um, and uh, I would love to be a part of that. My dream is, uh, you know, to build more equitable and culturally relevant uh, education programming for Native students and hopefully tie SBI into that. Anita Lou Casey, thanks for coming into the studio. Thank you for having me. Evening Star Woman, I think that's a beautiful name for you. Thank you. <laughs> Is there a particular evening star that you like? <laughs> Um, it's actually, the name is, uh, from the evening star, the mm -hmm. one star, the but, one. uh, it's been interesting. One of the things we collect in the database is, uh, information on their, their name and their tribal language and what the translation is. Mm. And the most common thing we've seen is that the vast majority of these names are tied to, um, celestial bodies in some way. So stars, the sun, uh, the moon, uh, sometimes uh, the wind, um, but it just seems really fitting that for some reason that's something that ties us all together. Hmm. Anita Lucchese, thank you for joining us here in the studio. Thank you for having me.